Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I noticed that I listened to some episodes and it is kind of like... It's almost like a fade-in. So we used to do intros, but I hate intros now. I feel like you just kind of want to get straight into the the conversation. Because right. whenever I listen to someone else's podcast, if I've never listened to it before, I skip straight to the intro. Yeah, the intros can be long sometimes. That's true. If you're like a Mark Maron and you're going for 15 minutes, like... Yeah. Taking the piss at that point. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. Let's get into the chat. Although that's, you know, that's... That's part of his show, is like his personality. And like, you want to get caught up on what's going on you know a lot of people are like you know what's what's going on with mark i want the latest yeah you become invested in the host and in the person themselves and their life and what's going on yeah so i know people who are in fact I, maybe five six years ago i had a period where i would listen to the intros of every new wtf and then just bail on the guest <laughs> i mean sometimes the guest i would be like okay i'll listen to this but a lot of times I would just be like, I don't care about this, but I do want to like, I don't know what it was. I was in like a period where I was just like, I got to keep up with, with, with Marin. So I would like hit the intros. <laughs> I guess at that point, the intros almost become like a, like a vlog or something. Yeah. Like almost like a diary entry. You're checking in with that person and where they're at at that point in their life. Like Instagram even, you know, yeah. it's a daily update. <laughs> now, recently I've noticed that Marin's doing, <laughs> he's doing like yoga on his porch on Instagram live, which is, that's a choice. That doesn't seem very Marin. No, I know. I mean, you know, but people, people change, you know, I guess you mellow a little bit as you, yeah, I haven't, time moves on. That hasn't really struck my fancy really, but yoga on a porch. There's like 600 people like watching him do yoga on his porch. (laughs) (laughs) I thought we'd, uh, I thought we could start off a little bit of kind of corporate minutia because I know that takes your fancy a little bit. Sure when it comes to branding and that sort of stuff, because there was a bit on time crisis, maybe six months ago, end of last year, when you talk about 
the Travis Scott McDonald's kind of whole thing. Uh huh. Have you seen the the BTS version of that? The BTS McDonald's collab. I think so. Yeah, I I like the idea of of the built to spill McDonald's collab better. When was this? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, we just have like an ongoing joke on the show. It's a very like dad style joke that BTS is actually built to spill. That's the real BTS. You know, who are like a psychedelic kind of indie band from Idaho. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't. Wait, what was the BTS meal? I don't. Even, I. I don't care. I really don't even care. It's just funny. Like, <laughs> like I don't care about the specifics. Well, and we had the joke about the Mountain Brews meal, which was um, any burger you want, no fries, and then you bring a six pack and you eat it in the parking lot in your van. That's the Mountain Brews uh, meal. I dig it. <laughs> What was the, I don't remember what the BTS one was even. Well, the thing I found funny about the BTS one was it was like nine chicken and nuggets, medium fries, a Coke, and then like two special sauces or something. So it's basically a normal meal. You're right. You could pick that up for cheaper than what they're charging for it. But the, the article I read in it the other day was going in depth about how you couldn't get this meal in the United Kingdom. And I'm like, it's nine chicken and nuggets, fr- you know, fries and a Coke. Yeah. What do they not sell a nine piece, or is you have to get a six piece and then a they get two? Well, six? no, they do, but they just don't sell it in the BTS kind of I don't know packaging or whatever. Is there a special? Is there like packaging on the cardboard, or is there any sort of specific branded content printed on the cardboard casing? It's like that, a purple box or something that says BTS on it. You know, there's freaks who are collecting that stuff for sure. <laughs> Well, and they did a merch thing as well, like similar to Travis, where you get, you know, like long sleeves and whatever that are like 50 bucks. Like, <laughs> people snap that shit up. Through the looking glass. Through the looking glass, dude. Where does this go, do you think? Where does this kind of progress to this whole kind of like hyper commercialization of artists? And I, I have no idea. I mean, I, you know, you got to think those are like more like kind of business. At that point, that's like there's like the BTS corporation who are like, who's ever, you know, the management team or whatever, are like, let's do this. Let's team up with McDonald's. It's, you know, it's not really. Well, like, I mean, they've probably been offered that you can get a million bucks each if we do a promo. Yeah. That's going to take a couple hours. Yeah. You know, I don't, who knows? It's like, I'm sure if like, I mean, maybe this did happen. I'm sure like in the seventies, if like McDonald's was like, let's team up with the, the carpenters or like let's team up let's team up you know who would have been in kiss let's let's team up with kiss <laughs> let's make a kiss meal you 19- got the action figures and everything yeah. 1970s i guess kiss was probably deemed like too edgy and weird for corporate america but i mean now i could see i mean uh, you know i yeah I, I don't think it's like that different it's just sort of uh maybe uh corporate marketing is not as scared of like pop stars and rock stars or pop stars and rock stars are now less edgy. I don't even know. I just think (laughs) maybe in like 50 years ago, there would be more of a divide between corporate advertising and pop stars. But now it's like full fusion with like social media and stuff that started to shift. Like I always find it bizarre whenever I see, you know, McDonald's or KFC tweeting and they tweet like it's a person. Right. Yeah. Like they tweet like we or something and it's a very kind of colloquial tweet and it feels very, odd and slightly sickening coming from a corporation yeah i mean they're just <laughs> corporations are people too man are they <laughs> uh <laughs> well legally they are yeah i suppose yeah in the united states that's like a that's a uh 
that's something that comes up a lot, you know, with campaign donations and stuff and all that. Yeah. Wait, so if a corporation donates to a campaign during an election, it counts as like a singular person donation? Well, they can just, they can donate unlimited amounts at this point. Actually, people can only donate up to like 2,800 bucks, I think, individually. But anyway, I'm not an expert on camp- campaign finance law, but I know. <laughs> well, I guess with corporations and stuff, that's where all the kind of kind of controversy comes when you see like, you know, big pharmaceutical companies donating or oil companies. Or oh, whatever. sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's very transparent in America. Like obviously that goes on everywhere, but in America it feels very kind of open and just there yeah, for show. Yeah, it's open corruption. I mean, it's basically open corruption, legalized bribery where like, I'm a congressman from this district where this uh, oil processing plant is or, you know, the corporate headquarters for Exxon is or whatever. And yeah, they give me a lot of money to represent their interests. I mean, that's how it works. That's what it's like very bald at this point, straight up. That's why, you know, it's hard to get environmental legislation through. It's why it's hard to get healthcare legislation through special interests, folks. (laughs) Is that better than it being done behind like closed doors though? Like if the corruption's kind of there to see, but then that, that makes you wonder what's going on beneath the surface. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a political analyst. I, I don't, that's, this is not my, this is not my forte. <laughs> we were, we were talking about McDonald's. McDonald's started in California, right? Did it start in LA? Uh, it started in San Bernardino, California in the, in like 1948, I think. Is that kind of like top of LA, like slightly north? It's like east. It's like uh, east. 50 or 60 miles east of California in the in the Inland Empire, very hot area. Whenever I see images of LA on a map in kind of like San Bernardino, it just seems to be like a city kind of stretching out toward it and there's no real land kind of dividing the two. It just keeps going. Yeah, at this point, if you drive on the 10 or the 210, it's pretty continuous development. I'm sure in the 40s and 50s, there were, there were um, it wasn't like that. I mean, there were small towns. I'm sure like, you know, Claremont and those kind of towns were there, but they were tiny. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's classic, right? The the L.A. sprawl. I mean, yeah, when people think of sprawl in the United States, they think of L.A. Even, even though it's obviously uh, something that's characteristic to most cities at this point, particularly in the in the West, where there's the room to do that. Even if you look at places like Austin and stuff now, like what's going on there? Like what's going on there? Well, it's kind of like mass immigration, isn't there? Oh, people are moving there. Yeah. And they continue the kind of building. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know if they're building or if it's just getting, it's getting more expensive. I've heard that. Yeah. Supply and demand, I suppose. Yeah. I, I I don't, I don't keep my finger on the pulse of, of Austin. I've been there a few times. Cool city. It's a, Austin's cool. Great food. Yeah. What kind of stuff? All kinds, man. New American cuisine. I went to like a great Japanese restaurant in Austin. Obviously there's barbecue. So it's like, I was there a few years ago and like, you could just like walk around all day it was just, it's like it was like a great walking city i was there in the fall it wasn't too hot it was fun just straight up tourism <laughs> that's the thing you don't think about america like coming from someone who's across the pond is the fact that you can basically explore i mean it's an entire continent basically like we live in the uk here it takes you like 12 hours to drive from one end of the country to the other whereas america you can be going for days. Wait, so are you in uh, Glasgow? Going back on Sunday. I'm back up in Aberdeenshire at the minute. Oh, Aberdeen? Is that where you're from? Aberdeen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same as Cobain, but quite far away. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I guess Aberdeen, Washington is probably named after Aberdeen, Scotland. Scotland seems cool, though. I went there once, like, a long time ago, but it seems cool. I mean, Edinburgh's beautiful. 
the countryside's beautiful. What what uh what what place does um does does a uh, teenage fan club occupy in the culture of Scotland? You're a big teenage you're a big teenage fan club. Yes, I guy, love teenage right? fan club. Yeah, 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 but I'm just curious if they're like. Are they like heroes there, or are they like kind of like ah, yeah, they're nineties band? Like, is it? I'd say like a legacy artist, like the same that we would kind of you know like Bell and Sebastian or something, right? Because they're from Scotland. like a right. band who have a big reputation, yeah, or appreciated in the culture, but haven't done as much of like. No, yeah, they're all. I mean, but if they played like a show in like Glasgow or something, would it be like to like 3000 people or like 500 people or like, Oh yeah. You'd be in the thousands. Yeah. hundred percent. Okay. Cause if they cut, like I saw them a few years ago, they came through here and it was like, you know, like a midsize club was probably like, I don't know, four or 500 people cap. They're not going to play. They ever break Amer- did they ever break America though? Or did I they bet- kind of just have a cult fan base there? Mm, I bet in the nineties they would have played bigger venues. I would think I could be wrong. Now they're like, yeah, they're, you know, they're like, they're not obscure, but like, they're not a band that comes up a lot. Let's put it that way. It's very hard to kind of keep that longevity going though. Like if you look at how many artists actually managed to maintain, you know, playing like venues in the kind of four figure range over a career for like 20 years or something. Like it's a very small minority. Yeah. You kind of have your moment in the sun. You've got to appreciate that when you have it, but it goes quick. Yeah. Well, it seems like they're still doing it in Scotland, at least. Four-figure venues. I feel like Bell and Sebastian have kind of got more of a presence over here, though. Sure. Yeah. Like, they played Transmit, which is, like, our biggest music festival, kind of second from top, I think, like, a few years back. Like, they still have it kind of going. Well, they're, like, a, a generation sort of after Teenage Fan Club. We're Teenage Fan Club kind of early 90s, like, a little bit. Yeah. years before Bell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, early 90s. I think of Bell as, like, early or like, yeah, very late nineties, early twos, right? I think Bell kind of hit here mid nineties. They probably hit oh, a wow. little bit before over. Well, like nineties. I'm sure you're right. They kind of started to blossom here. Yeah. Okay. Wow. The reason I was asking about uh, McDonald's in California a few moments back was that this new EP that you've just put out. A large part of it seems to kind of explore your relationship to California after moving there. Uh, yeah. No, it's it's definitely. Uh, I mean, the whole Mountain Brews project is very, um, very California centric, I think. But um, yeah, this one in particular, though, yeah, with uh, Earthquake Country and uh, yeah, Look at the Sun. <laughs> a lot of the songs in the EP are about just like it being really hot out <laughs> and just like generalized anxiety of like, like it's hot out. What the hell? Um, but yeah, I mean, I lived in like Northern California for like 10 years. I've, I've, the vast majority of my adult life has been in, california uh northern and southern and so yeah i mean and a lot of the musical dna of mountain brews is i mean the musical dna of mountain brews is basically the grateful dead and the eagles two of the most iconic (laughs) two of the most iconic uh california bands from the 1970s there's not a lot of cross so there's not like a big venn diagram with them really even though they were contemporaries but i also we just thought it was like the band thought it would be fun to try to try to combine those aesthetics. The Eagles feel very, they were almost like one of the first kind of stadium rock bands. Would that be a fair assessment? It might be a fair assessment. I don't, I mean, they were very they have professional that kind of mainstream polish to them. That feels like it can translate. Right. Right. They're they, across a wide spectrum. Yes. I mean, they were immensely pop. They were more popular than their 
they were more popular than the bands that came just before them that influenced them like maybe like the flying burrito brothers or the birds you know there was like the nascent la country rock scene happening in the late 60s and yeah then the eagles kind of sanded off the edges and had a much more like polished sound um which you know was I, divisive among like yeah like real like rock rock heads i don't think like, like oh, but hey yeah yeah i don't think they liked the eagles the eagles are like yeah like the the water it was they thought of the eagles as like the watered down commercial version of like more authentic rock that was happening um now i wasn't around then so i didn't i didn't have that context i grew up in the 80s and the 90s and i was always just like the eagles songs are amazing hearing them on the radio all the time they just always like resonated with me um i see the humor in liking the eagles i understand that the eagles are lame but like i still love the eagles and i think the other guys in mountain Bruce, we all kind of feel similarly like yes it's funny to name check the eagles but like it, they, it also like that music sincerely does resonate the lyrics are great um i prefer the the, the country rock stuff early i like prefer the earlier stuff lion eyes take it easy tequila sunrise but yeah i mean i think with time though if it's good the kind of stigma that surrounds it when initially comes out always fades away like if it's good music it'll kind of push through that and have a bit of longevity yeah i mean among i mean obviously yeah the eagles are immensely popular um i mean they were one of the biggest selling bands of yeah all time right in america they were up there for number one at one point i'm pretty sure right yes i don't know like the exact current status of this but i do remember hearing that like their um greatest hits volume one compilation was the greatest selling album of all time beating out thriller maybe of like the 20th century sales it was like the highest maybe i bet that's waned i don't know what the current number one is but for a long time they held the belt for like number one (laughs) which is the greatest hits collection and thriller was number two thriller was an album so i don't know greatest hits compilation is kind of cheating but who cares whatever but yeah the eagles were immensely popular but i still think in terms of like critically focused rock fans uh the eagles are still not popular they they still get no love it's still you're still facing an uphill battle if you're like hanging out with people that like you know consider themselves music connoisseurs you bring up the eagles it's not it's you, it's that's an uphill battle i think more so in america i think you wrote said of america you have that slight romanticism of it being foreign and then as a result of that it kind of pushes past in, in scotland you're saying yeah i reckon so i don't think they're really considered lame over here they're not considered lame i don't think as much because wow. they kind of more blend in with the fact that it's that kind of slightly overproduced american rock almost a little bit like you know like pearl jam or something See, pearl jam to me seems very lame <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. I, I have but a real soft spot for Pearl Jam. That's cool. I dig about Pearl Jam. Do you like anything after Vitology? Um, no, as much. I mean, there's a few solid tracks. It kind of. Are you a no code guy? I used to love Ten. That was kind of. Oh, well, that's the first record, first record, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves the first record, but I think that first record sucks. I I like verses. And yeah. Yeah, it's just awkward. It's just like. I mean, here's the thing. There is a certain amount of charm to the Pearl, the early Pearl Jam years. I mean, it, it's dumb, but you gotta love it. I don't. I don't love it. Um, I don't think. <laughs> I think the song. I think Jeremy's terrible. I think Alive is terrible. Oh man! But I do. There is like a charm in that there was a bunch of guys in Seattle 
who like are real into like Jimi Hendrix and Leonard Skinner and like they like write these like classic rock instrumentals and then they find Eddie Vedder who makes up the vocal parts and but and he's then, a great vocalist he's a great vocalist great front man great front man and then it's like but then there's this weird schism where they're like yeah man we're a rock band this rules and then he then Eddie's all like freaked out about his punk credibility <laughs> and it's like this a hilarious collision of like like Eddie Vedder wanted to be in like Fugazi basically. And then the other guys are like, well, I'm into like Jimi Hendrix. Like what? And that, I think that did create like for the first few records, it created like a, I, I think you on verses that kind of comes out. I think this weird uh, friction between like classic rock and like punk is really in verses and vitology in an interesting way. Um, he almost reminds me that when you talk of him, they're kind of warring about his punk credibility. That feels to me like John Mayer, like doing, you know, the Grateful Dead. Well, how so? What do you mean? Like him kind of hopping into that to try and. I mean, John Mayer, he's a pop star, but he seems to want to be, like you say, like Jimi Hendrix or someone. Right. Like he wants to be that real kind of guitar hero, but struggles with the fact that he's a kind of overtly cheesy pop star. Yeah. I mean, I don't hear, I don't get a sense from John Mayer that he's like sweating his credibility really maybe because he's like a guy in his 40s at this point and he's like whatever maybe like because like get past it yeah i mean when vetter started pearl jam or joined pearl jam he's probably in his early 20s and he was like young and hungry and like ah, like you know mayor seems like oh yeah i'll, I'll play in the dead cool <laughs> <laughs> where do the dead kind of set an american you know we we're talking about the eagles earlier on and the fact that they still haven't really managed to break through that in American kind of critical circles is being a little bit lame. Where do the dead sit in terms of that with the fact that they became more commercialized? Would that be the right term? Yeah, I mean... The way they kind of became a brand almost. You mean in and the last so, like... like a type of culture. You mean in the last like six or seven years? Yeah, when they came back and it was Dead and Company, right? That was the name of the tour. Right. So I would say things started to shift for the dead's like... L- the dead as a legacy brand around 2015 when they did the fare thee well shows and uh i guess it was the 50th anniversary of the band the 20th anniversary of jerry garcia's death i don't know what happened like um and i'm not that interested in like i don't really follow the like fashion stuff but yeah i feel like at some point like they broke through and like there's just dead dead like dead became like a cool brand for like other people to like start riffing on um like when you see people wearing a ramones t-shirt it's the same kind of vibe yeah because like i remember like god like definitely in the 90s and the in the first 10 years of this century like kind of like i was saying how like the eagles are still hated in critical circles the dead certainly were i mean i've always loved the dead i remember like hanging out and like yeah like indie indie rock circles I'd always rep the dead and people were like, are you crazy? Like it was not a cool thing to like be into. And then we, when we started Richard pictures, that was like 2014. So this is pretty fairly well, fairly well. Not that like, we're like, I mean, obviously there's been grateful that cover bands forever, but I guess the, the audience that the context that we were starting the band in, people were definitely like, what you're starting a grateful that cover band. Like that's weird. That's funny. Oh, that's funny guys. Cool. I mean, we were very sincere about that Richard pictures um, and like tried to, I mean, obviously it's like, it's funny for like a bunch of like guys in their thirties or maybe some of us were in our forties at that point, like to start a, 
a dead cover band, but we took it seriously and played good shows. Um, but people thought it was like funny. And now I think if you started a Grateful Dead cover band in the last few years, it'd, people would be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that makes sense. It's, it's something like, like the wind shifted at some point. I think, I think 15, 16, they became like a hipper reference or something. So that further well did you feel like it almost solidified the legacy more so than well their legacy impacted it in a negative fashion. Oh, it didn't no, it definitely did impact it negatively. It made them a little bit relevant again or something. Yeah, it's, I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't have really w- thought their legacy was in any sort of danger before Fairly Well, but yeah, it definitely took them up a notch. And then adding John Mayer to the mix, like you know, a younger generation, kind of a celebrity, that helps. And it was a shrewd move. I think I've seen Dead and Co. twice. Um, yeah, I've seen it once at Hollywood Bowl, once at Dodger Stadium. Fun shows. Did you ever see The Dead back in the day? No. 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 Because Jerry Garcia died in 95. I would have been 18. I just wasn't going to shows. Like, I didn't, wasn't, I didn't grow up in an area that were like, or just in high school, it just wasn't like. How old was he when he died? He wasn't that old, kind of 40s maybe? No, he was in his 50s. 50s, 50s. Like maybe like 53 or something. It just kind of caught up to him. Yeah. I remember like when he died and um, I remember my dad just being like, well, I mean, man, you, you have all, you, you live off corn dogs and, and uh, he's like, like if you live off corn dogs and heroin for 30 years, it's going to catch up to you. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> I remember my dad saying that like when, when the news broke that he died, cause my parents liked the dead too. And I was like, damn real assessment shopping at Whole Foods in the last 10 years of his life didn't quite counteract it. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We've talked about that on Time Crisis. The, uh, he used to get spotted, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, if you go... Yeah, I've talked to people... Do we talked about this on the show? Like, I used to do, like, do grocery delivery out of the um, Mill Valley Whole Foods. And so I like got to know some of the people that worked there who, or had worked at that Whole Foods for a long time. This was in like... 2006 maybe so only like i guess only 11 years after he was dead so Ten, people, yeah, yeah. so people are like, oh yeah i saw jerry in here the day he died fuck yeah uh so i think yeah he must have lived like walking distance or something from that mill valley whole foods have you ever painted a whole foods uh no never painted a whole foods no i would i mean no if i found the right image because it's, it's not just about like oh i'm gonna paint like uh you know uh an, an auto zone or a, or a, or a Chick-fil-A or whatever. I it has to, yeah, I have to find the right, um, either shoot it myself or find it online. I need to find the right image that has like some sort of poetic sensibility to it that I, that I see. It can't just be like any old photo. And so whole foods, that's tough. That's it's, that's, I just, that's, Sometimes I have ideas of like I want to paint a cheesecake factory. Do you guys have cheesecake factories in Scotland? No, they never they never met over here. Are you familiar with Cheesecake Factory? Yeah, I went to one. I obviously like kind of here. We tend to go to Orlando quite a lot when you're kids. You know, you go to Disneyland and whatever. Oh, and I really? Went to one when I was in Florida. Yeah, that's a massive thing here. Everyone goes to Florida and you go to Orlando and Universal and stuff. Oh wow! At some point in your childhood, yeah. Interesting. So you just direct flight to Orlando from Glasgow? Yeah. <laughs> used to drive from Aberdeen to Glasgow for three hours and then get a plane from Glasgow to Orlando. Like, like That's in, the one like in the holiday winter. destination everyone goes to. Yeah, around about October. Funny. Kind of autumn break. I didn't know about that. The Scottish love of Florida. I like that. 
I think it's just Disneyland. Disneyland's got that kind of universal. Was that your, you know, was that your first exposure to America? Was Orlando? Yeah. 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 Red (laughs) Lobster. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. I just did a painting of a red lobster. It's called Arizona red lobster. It's a red lobster. And then I put all these cactus in front of it. But anyway, I've been trying to make, do a painting of a cheesecake factory. And it's like, it's hard to like, I've driven around a bunch of the ones around here and it's just hard to like find the right vantage point, you know, because they're big, they're big and they're like just weird looking. And it's like, but I think I finally cracked it. I I think I'm going to do a painting of a, it's like a combination of a cheesecake factory and a PF Chang's they are right next to each other. That's interesting because quite often your paintings have a sense of like isolation about them. Like usually it's the one building on its own. Yeah. And it kind of feels quite out there in the open. Yeah. It's hard to say what, like what kind of, what elements go into a composition that's going to make me want to paint it. But um, I've been searching for the right cheesecake factory image for years. And I think maybe I found it. So when you find it, will you shoot that? And that's what you base the painting off of? Yeah. If it's in person or I, or I'm just digging around on the internet, I like, uh, digging around in like Google street view or just like doing like weird Google searches, just like, yeah, like cheesecake factory, comma, Orlando, Florida, or like cheesecake factory, comma, Houston, Texas. And Cause you'll get different. If you just type search cheesecake factory, you'll just get images of like the food, you know? So you have to, if you put in a location, then you'll start getting like sh- shots of the buildings and there, you, you know, nine, you know, 99.9% of them are uninteresting, but, Every once in a while, someone like accidentally takes like a interesting picture. Can you pinpoint what it is about that picture that's resonating for you, or is it just based upon feeling? Yeah, it's just in- it's more intuition. It's like this either like the light is tr- like it's usually just like the composition. Like it's not because a lot of times people like shoot a building, they're too close to it. You know, it kind of fish eyes out, or like it, it you know, the, the like the the uh, parallel lines of the building are converging you know it has like some sort of lens distortion i don't want any of that i want like clean neutral documentation of the building that's that has like a sense of space and elegance to it and it's hard Almost like unobtrusive yeah yeah i can't have a bunch of like cars and i mean i'll remove stuff and move stuff around move trees around take cars in put cars out but there needs to be like the bones need to be like whether this is something I'm shooting or whether I'm finding it, it's got to just, there has to be like an elegance to it. And it's, it's rare to, if you're just Google searching like Olive Garden, it's, they're just going to be chaotic snapshots. And yeah. Did you see those George Bush paintings he did a few years back of like kind of famous political leaders and stuff? (laughs) Yeah. They're surprisingly kind of good. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think he'd kind of just done it based off like the top Google images, hadn't he? That's why my mind was coming to when we're talking about Google searches. That yeah, that was that, like the number one photo, and he kind of oh just really? It That's funny. Like slightly off. Well, that looks good right there. I'll just do that. <laughs> That's not a bad impression. <laughs> when you looked at that, well, it's interesting. You're kind of saying that they were all right. What was that about when you looked at them that kind of resonated with you? Well, I have to look again here. Hold on a sec. They're funny. They're kind of like. It's almost like, you know, like the Uncanny Valley, like with CGI, where the eyes are slightly off and there's something slightly unsettling about it. There was just like a weird, hold on. Oh yeah. Like the Putin one. Yeah. yeah the yeah, Putin yeah. one is kind of haunting. I, yeah. And they're like, it's, I would think they would be kind of like, I would assume they would have been like more, um, kind of blandly like photographic. Um, but they're, they're, they're not, um, they're. They they have like the, the like his color is like kind of 
kind of nice. I'm um, looking at this Putin one and like it's on this purple background. It's very creepy. It's like a purple background and then <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. There's just a vibe there. Um, I know I'm, I can't tell what all this stuff. Some of it's not as good as others, but that Putin one is bizarre. The Putin one's intense. Uh, that's a good painting. Like I could honestly like, like if 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 some if some artist painted like if someone that wasn't George Bush like did the Putin painting and did other paintings that were had the same quality of the Putin painting, I could see that like at like a real art gallery. <laughs> now some of the other stuff, it seems un. It seems like he accidentally made that like he. He, I don't think he quite understands why the why I like the Putin painting. I'm looking at the other stuff and it's a little, it's not as interesting. He might have gotten lucky with that Putin painting. Do you like the Putin painting because it almost captures a slight unsettlingness about Putin himself and the darkness that's kind of you can always see it bubbling there. <sighs> it's just the way those eyes are positioned. Yeah, the eye, slightly it, off. And this like the it's very low contrast. Um, the purple is really kind of an interesting vibe, like. And the, his lips are like kind of really tense and yeah it's just a creepy painting i don't even if i didn't know who vladimir putin was i would still like it but yes a, an ex-president painting an adversarial foreign leader is it's really weird <laughs> it's really funny imagine if bush had done like a portrait of bin laden i could see him doing that in the future he doesn't have the perception and the awareness to not... I mean... I want to see how he would paint his staff. I want to see what his Cheney would look like. What his Rumsfeld oh, would yeah. look like. That'd be interesting. <laughs> That'd be tight. Rumsfeld passed away, didn't he? Recently. Yeah. This year. Yeah. And it's such an odd period of history because it was kind of right... When we look at it in the context of what we have now, it was right before shit kind of went a bit crazy. And yet it was kind of the crazy version of normalcy. I don't know about that. I remember when Bush was running in 2000... I was like shocked how inarticulate he was. I remember being like, yeah, and like, I guess, yeah, it was 2000 he, that he ran and beat Gore. I remember just being like, what? This guy is such a moron. Like, this is crazy. The president's son is running and he's clearly an idiot. And it's like, he's actually going to like win the nomination. This is crazy. It didn't seem normal at all to me. Do you think it was a stepping stone to Trump? Uh... Could Trump have gotten in without Bush being there first? I don't know. Palin was definitely a stepping stone to Trump because she was just like balls out. Just she was bizarre, dumb though. as hell. Just like so out. Of, I mean, Bush was dumb, but Bush at least had the trappings of like he went to Yale or whatever. You know, he came from a fancy family. Palin was truly like plucked from obscurity and was just like chosen for like the most cynical kind of mark marketing reasons obviously it didn't work out but i see her as like a real omen of things to come but also everyone's so trump is totally like a unique guy i mean he's totally like a everyone's like what who's the next trump and it's sort of like i don't I, like he was so unique <laughs> you, you're never going to get another Trump. I mean, well, you'll get someone else. Crack. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I just don't. It would be like David Lynch running for president. <laughs> <laughs> well, but like, um, yeah, I mean, Trump is just so like, people are like, well, what's going to happen with Trumpism? And they're like, and it's, I'm, I'm thinking nothing unless he runs again. Cause it's just like, that is like, there's nothing beyond the Trumpism outside of Trump. It's just like true. Like it's just him. So I don't know. We'll see. 
I could see him being president again. I could see that happening. If they let him back on social media, this is like the, uh, truly how, we'll see how cynical these um, social media companies are. Because like, what is it? Like two weeks before he's done with his presidency, they kick him off because <laughs> he's not useful to them anymore. And then um, yeah. if they let him back on in like 2023, I mean, that's just like, come on guys. Like if you you'd say that you were so worried about how dangerous he is and whatever, but you're going to let him back on and that, then, then he'll run again. And I could honestly see him winning, but who knows? Well, I mean, Biden feels like a doorstop. He's not a permanent solution to what's going on. He's kind of just a placeholder to stop it for the time being, but he's not a particularly formidable, you know, adversary if Trump was to run once more. Yeah. It was really close last time. And I, I could just see it, but if they don't let him back on, then, then he's, his goose is cooked. I think. He's a funny guy. It's going to be interesting to see how his last kind of few years play out. Oh my God. He's going to live to a hundred. Final chapter of his narrative. He's going to live. Oh my God. Yeah. He's just going to. He, he's in like, what is, is he not on like a ridiculous amount of burgers per day or something? Yeah. But he's just like that, that 1% of bacteria that holds on. He's just, he's just going to keep crushing McDonald's burgers and like slamming diet Cokes, get COVID. Who cares, man? And just like, he's just going to, he's going to live to a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you go to a location you know like a mcdonald's to shoot it how long will you typically spend there not long i mean when i'm really like seriously photographing uh architecture i'll walk like around the building once or twice you know or i'll go to an area that has a ton like a big shopping center that has like a home depot and an applebee's and all this stuff which sprawls out over you know acres and acres and i'll walk you know that that'll take a few hours then i'll park once and then I'll just, I'll walk in between the stores around the back or just all over. And like, cause you never know where you're going to find a good picture. It's never just like, I'm going to walk to the front of the store and shoot it. It's, you gotta, you never, yeah, you just, you gotta just, yeah, put the time in and like. So as you're walking, you're kind of constantly on alert. You kind of have that visual kind of mindset on looking uh, yeah. at those images that could appeal to you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I like that kind of anyway, just all the time. Is that ever tough? catch my eye and be like oh look at that no i mean sometimes it's sort of like i'm driving by and i don't have time like it's like a weird place to stop or i'm in, in a rush or i'm like i you know i'm like well uh, there was a cool picture i'm never gonna get it it's gone but i mean it's, it's fine <laughs> how how long after you capture those pictures will you typically paint them do you ever leave them for a while or is it pretty uh, oh yeah where you trying to get them down no i mean sometimes it's i mean i'm working on stuff i like I'll make, I'm, I'm making paintings right now. Some of them are based on photographs I took like 10, 15 years ago. Wow. Um, some of them are just things I shot like last year or things I found, you know, like a week ago. What are the ones from 10 or 15 years ago? The same stuff, you know, I'm working on a painting of like a Barnes and Noble and a Home Depot. Barnes and Noble. Yeah. They're kind of slowly fading out. Yeah. And I just, um, you know, I, yeah, I have like a big kind of archive of photographs and I don't know, I do when I'm starting a bunch of new work, I'll like start to pull out pictures and um, sort of just see what kind of like speaks to me. And um, yeah, I think Barnes and Noble, there was like a poignancy to that brand, you know, that I was like, ooh, kind of, and I liked, I just thought like this would be, yeah. And I thought it'd be an interesting painting to make now. And um the architecture is like still the same. So it's if, if I shot the picture like in 2000, 
seven or whatever it's like that that barnes and noble is probably still standing it could easily just be something i shot yesterday did you have a sense like back in 2007 that it was already was already beginning that kind of decline of the brick and mortar the fading out um you know, no hadn't fully taken hold at that point no yeah i thought blockbuster was doomed by then that would seem pretty obvious. Well, DVDs were so cheap at that point, even like even if you take the internet out of the equation. Yeah, like you could get like a DVD for like three bucks or whatever, and you'd probably be the same to rent it. Yeah, no, I I remember thinking, oh, Blockbuster, because Blockbuster had like thirty thousand locations or something absurd that they opened. They Blockbuster started in like the mid eighties, and by like the early two thousands, yeah, there were like thirty thousand. Like it was, I mean, there was a Blockbuster in pretty much literally every town. Um, but I remember we had them here. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And I remember thinking, yeah, like around 2005 or something like, okay, like, or I guess YouTube started in 06, but somewhere around there, I was sort of like, okay, yeah, obviously video on the internet is going to be like a real thing. And it was like, okay, a blockbuster's cooked, but I didn't, no, I didn't, I certainly didn't foresee like the dominance of Amazon. Amazon started as a book, like a bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. There was no inkling that it was going to become this kind of massive corporation that sells everything. Yeah. I didn't see like in 2007, I was like. Oh, like Walmart and Home Depot, like these places are going to be here for forever. And they might be. I mean, Home Depot, you can't, I think Home Depot is like going to stick around. I mean, I don't see, I mean, I guess you could order like a box of like drywall screws on Amazon. Obviously you can, but usually it's sort of like if you're like doing construction or like little projects at home or whatever, it's like you go, you need to go to the hardware store to get some something and you just go that day. It's hard to tell. We don't know what things are going to be in 20 years or like something like virtual reality comes in. Like that could radically kind of change the way that our daily life goes about. I don't think virtual reality is going to mess with Home Depot though. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm betting long on Home Depot. You've got shares. Ter- yeah. no, I, I don't, but I remember like during the Trump years, like, like the guy that started Home Depot is like some like conservative, like shithead guy. And everyone was like, go to Lowe's instead, which is like the, like, it's like the Pepsi to Home Depot's Coke. See, I'm a Pepsi man. I like about Pepsi Max. Yikes. I don't really drink soda. I'm too old. You know, it's just like, you, you can't drink soda at this, at this point. It's just like, that's like the worst thing for, I think, I feel like soda is like smoking cigarettes. It's just sort of like, it's like so bad for you. It's just like, just dumping pure sugar into your bloodstream. But then Pepsi Max is no sugar. Oh, so it tastes, it's, they, so it's, it's just all the artificial shit, you know? Oh, gross. I mean, every once in a, <laughs> once in a blue moon, if I'm like eating some tacos at like a Mexican restaurant, I'll like get a Coke poured on ice. It's great. It's great. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a grocery item. I wouldn't item. have it daily. I feel like that's a bit, yeah, you don't want to be doing that. I'm, I'm doing like six once Cokes. Or twice a week, maybe, you know? Oh, I'm doing like six Cokes a year. That's a good ratio. Six that's Cokes like a year. That's like fast food though. Like McDonald's? What do you hit? Maybe. I see I seldom if I was actually going to go fast food I'd probably go like an independent you know like a fish and chip shop oh okay yeah I don't really consider that fast food but yeah that is that's great in Scotland you've got like deep fried pizza and Mars bars and all that shit just, we just plunk everything in a fryer you know yeah when, when people say fast food to me that 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 connotes that it's corporate it's a corporate chain like a Wendy's or a KFC now like a local burger place like a little stand that's like just making burgers. I get that that is like fast food, but like it doesn't, to me, that doesn't count. You almost think of it as part of like the kind of smooth packaging and stuff and the way that it arrives in that kind of commercialized box. It's very like branded yeah, and it's just, has this association to it. And it's like, 
of highly like systematic industrialized like process. Whereas like the local burger stand is just sort of like, I mean, I, I can't really get into like the sourcing. I don't, you know, I mean, just a place that isn't sort of like, we're just like a random burger place. It's not like we're a special like farm to table, like organic restaurant. It's probably like similar ingredients really to like a McDonald's, just like a, but it's just not as like stream. It's just, just a different energy. Yeah. I do get what you mean. I had a Taco Bell for the first time last year. And? And it was, nah. Wait, wait, wait where Just was nah. it? In Glasgow, yeah. There's a Taco, Taco Bell, Bell there? Here. How many are, are- There's a Taco Bell in Aberdeen as well. What? Is that a new thing? I don't remember them being a thing like five, ten years ago, but they're, they're over here now. I remember yeah. looking into that, or I remember being in Great Britain like, like 20 years ago and being like, oh, what? Are there, are there Taco Bells here? I remember like looking into it and like there were like hardly any or none. Well, this is what I find fascinating about America is that you seem to have so many more different types of like fast food outlets to us. Like you have like an endless list of different chains, whereas we probably have like a solid like half a dozen maybe. Well, be- that. belly of the beast. Belly of the beast over here. <laughs> <laughs> What's your go-to if you're going to swim by and pick something up? I know, I'm, I'm like kind of snotty about stuff. Like I'll go to In-N-Out or I'll go to uh, Shake Shack. In-N-Out is supposed to be good. Though. That's kind of like classy fast food, isn't it? It's at the higher yeah, end. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call it high end. It is a li- high end as far as it's fast a little, food goes. It's a little like fresher. It's not so like chemically. They're like, they like never fr- freeze the beef. Like it's all, and they're only in California and Nevada. Um, so it's like, it's just, which is a choice on their part just to keep it like regional. And so it's like a, cause it's a smaller scale. I think they can maintain like a yeah, higher degree of like control and, and like freshness without resorting to like chemicals and freezing and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I like in and out shake shack. I like that, but it, you know, it's, it's pretty rare that it's usually like on a road trip or something that I'll end up doing that. It's not just like daily life. When you're painting something like one of these places too, do you ever try and capture that kind of atmosphere of like a fast food place and that kind of slight branding side to it? Do you ever think about that and trying to like incorporate that into the image? You mean like signage and stuff? More so just the feeling that you get from something that's like kind of hyper commercialized. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm trying to like make beautiful paintings of like very cookie cutter corporate places. So there's a little bit of like a, that's what gives them maybe like a, a tension. Yeah. I mean, I think that's inherent in the subject matter that sort of like, how did you describe it? What the fast, fast food. Just like the atmosphere of that kind of like hyper the, branding. Yeah. I mean, I think that's inher- like very, inherent. Like very glossy kind of overproduced, like smoothed over, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's inherent in the subject matter. And usually the, the way I've painted these places, like they, they, they're, they're, they're pretty, they seem pretty new. They seem kind of gleaming and like, radiant almost um it's yeah but then also when you paint a picture of like a pizza hut on its own exposed you get this feeling like it's almost like crumbling if you know what i mean like it's falling away and it kind of feels like the last standing brick and mortar restaurants you know like the the institutions like shops are kind of going online everything's becoming digitized but restaurants are still this thing that kind of stay put they haven't moved on yet yeah i don't i don't um analyze it too much um or have like a a super specific set of uh objectives when i do these things i mean i think the paintings are like you know they're like songs or poems it's like 
the meaning is like um, sort of open. You know, it's a, it's a, it's an aesthetic experience, um, uh, even though it's very specific in its subject matter. You'll kind of just have that vague outline and then let it go where it takes you. Yeah, like you know what you want to paint, but you don't exactly know what you want to. Yeah, you don't fully know what you want to convey with it. You have some ideas, but you're kind of willing to let the process take you, you have to, to the f- final goal. You have to find it. I mean, you've got to find the palette of the painting, like what. Because if you have like an image of a Pizza Hut, like there's literally an infinite number of ways you could paint it, you know. And so it's like I, the, the for me, it's like I try to find the palette and the sense of light in a painting that'll convey the mood that I that is reflective of my interior temperament. I think that's what like like painters, like landscape painters, they like if they're working in a mature way that is consistent, like all of their works have the same feel like an album. Yeah. That gives off like a mood and it's sort of like, can I find my mood by painting like a red lobster? It's interesting to me that you're, that you're drawn to these buildings that are kind of symbols of commercialism because your parents were kind of the antithesis of that, right? They moved from California into the countryside and kind of got a farm with like sheep and, cows and stuff right yeah i mean in the 70s yeah i mean it's true they like lived on a on a small farm in upstate new york yeah they were definitely not like watching tv and like listening to um you know uh the bgs in the 70s um i wouldn't they, they weren't like crazy like bohemians like uh like out there hippies or anything they just yeah we're kind of just doing their own thing i think that was a lot of people did that in that era, like try to f- do small farming and whatnot. Did you ever ask them what their kind of motivations were for moving and get, were they in a, were they in a city before? Uh, they lived in like the Bay area in the early, in the late sixties and the early seventies. They lived in like, uh, East Bay, like Berkeley area, which would have been cool to, that would have been a cool place to live. That's like a uni town, like oh, a uni- university. Yeah. Town. Yeah. You, you, yeah. Cal, uh, university, of California, Berkeley is there. But yeah, they live there and I don't know. I don't, you know, I, I forget. I don't know why they moved back. I think, I think, I don't know why they moved back to the East coast. I mean, it seems crazy to me, but you know, my dad was from there. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it seems wild to me that they would do that, but. So you can never see yourself kind of relocating back into the countryside. Well, not to the East coast of the United States. No. What about a little further out of LA? Are you rooted in the city now? Um, I could see like living in the desert for stretches of time, maybe. Just because it's so different. Yeah, I like the desert. I don't think I could live by the ocean. It's so goddamn expensive. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's I I, I I feel pretty good in LA. I think we'll be here for many years to come. It's funny as well because we think of LA, or from my point of view, you know, across the palm, I think of LA, it's this hectic place, you know, full of energy and people chasing these dreams and it has that buzz to it. But when I see your paintings of buildings there, I get a certain sense of like stillness and calm from them. Is that something mirrored in the process for you? No, they're, 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 they're hard work. <laughs> um, I'm w- constantly worried about deadlines and, um, and did I get this right? Does this look, is this good enough? I, I wake up at two in the morning thinking about, oh, maybe I should do that differently. No, there it's incredibly hard work and not at all relaxing. What about music? Does that give you that at all, or is that a similar thing to painting? Um, well, music is much lower stakes. It's not my career. It's a fun hobby. Mountain Brews, Richard Pictures, and it's collaborative, which is really fun. Um, 
and it so the music is a lot of that is a reason it it's it all sort of rewarding is like what everyone else brings to it we yeah we we work hard on those recordings but it's also like we're not it's not no it's not like (laughs) it's a hobby it's hobby rock i like that genre i like the idea of that being yeah hobby hobby rock rock. i mean i I love mountain brews it's like a really fun project but it's not a source of like stress (laughs) or like just take out your own pace yeah it's our own pace to do what we want it's not like is this what are people gonna think is this like relevant like none of no it must be nice creating with that freedom though yeah it's great yeah i hadn't done music i had stopped writing songs when i was like in my early 20s probably because i was getting serious about trying to do painting uh we started richard because it's all the same people in richard pictures and mountain brews it's pretty much the same crew started richard pictures and then did that for quite a few years maybe five years in on Richard pictures. And I was like, man, the chemistry in this band is really good. Like everyone is like really understands each other's like strengths. We should start writing some originals. And I just was like, Oh, we're just, we're just joking around one day. And like, we were like some, some of my buddies were like, we were like hanging out on this like hillside drinking beer. And like the concept of mountain brews came up and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I was just like mountain brews. That's a band. Like I'm going to start writing, I'm going to write a song called mountain brews. And then just like, it's, we're just going to like, I already, like we already have this great chemistry, like musically, let's just like, let's try to do like grateful dead meets the Eagles. Like, like sort of most of the song, like all the, all the first few bunch of songs were all about drinking, which was like also like a funny, like <laughs> angle to take. And just like, it was really fun. It was like a very fun hobby. And it's fun to like, reawaken that muscle there's a few i mean it is kind of touching upon more serious things now too they're like the first couple songs in uep reference climate change really yeah they do agree they do in particular yeah i mean i didn't like set out to be like i'm gonna write a song about climate change but you know it's just sort of like it's just in the air literally um so i just very much so it's just just like a lot i mean the, the second that song here in the shade is really about like I think we started writing that because that song was, is very collaborative. Uh, Aaron had the idea for the chorus, like the 97 in the shade. I, I just ran with it from there for the verses, but um, I mean, yeah, it's still about a guy sitting, sitting in the shade, drinking a beer. Um, think I'll crack a cold one. Sit here under just the eve. Ruminating on where the world is going. Yeah. The seventies, eighties and nineties. <laughs> I forget the lyric, whatever, but like, it was just sort of like uh I mean, yeah, you can only write so many songs about beer. Well, you can write quite a few songs about beer. I mean, we'll st- I'm sure we'll do more. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just seemed I just yeah yeah it just seemed natural just to write about some other stuff. As we wrap this up, too, do you still have a show opening at the end of September? Look at you! You, you really know your stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, September 25th at Nino Meyer uh, Gallery in LA. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.